This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today is our October edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader problems facing our society. It is election season here in Montana and across the country. Will Republicans flip Congress? Will Democrats retain power? To some, however, these questions seem quaint. Perhaps more pressing is the question of whether or not our democracy will hold. To help us understand this time and our possible ways through it, we're joined today by University of Montana political science professor Rob Saldine. Rob, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, great to be here, Justin. Thanks. You are an expert on elections. You're director of ethics and public affairs at the University of Montana's Mansfield Center. Give us sort of a brief bio on kind of how you've come to be uh, concerned about the state of our democracy. I've been studying American democracy, uh, you know, as long as I can remember. Um, it, it, it caught me my freshman year of college and uh, kind of the intersection of political philosophy, of uh, American politics, of American history. Kind of that's the 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 the, the intersection where where I work and have have been um, studying that, thinking about it, talking about it, writing about it now for. A couple decades. So that's kind of the background. And of course, what's happened in that time is that uh, American democracy has, uh, uh, to my mind at least, come to face real challenges that uh, I certainly didn't think that we would see. But here we are. And so that that has given uh, a, a kind of sense of, of urgency to, to the way I think about my work. Uh, uh, certainly, has taken it a little bit out of the just sort of abstract scholarly kind of kind of kind of pursuit that uh, originally drew me to this area. Do you agree with the premise that um, our democracy is at risk? That this is a, a, a uniquely perilous moment for the country? Oh, for sure. And I don't I don't think that's particularly controversial. Okay. I think uh, you know you look at surveys of the American public and most people feel this way. Mm -hmm. Now, I think they feel that way for for different reasons, but right. but but most people agree that there that there's a problem here. There's a a real difference about what's the source of that problem and I think there's a difference about the extent to which we should do anything about it, right? Uh, there, there, there's a New York Times survey that just came out that uh, kind of highlighted this exact thing, you know, widespread agreement that American democracy is in trouble, but it's not necessarily people's top concern heading into the election, right? I mean, things like the economy and, mm -hmm. and, and, and some of this, uh, for a lot of people, uh, ranks higher on, on the scale of what's important. But, but there is this broad agreement, I think, that, that, that things are not well with American democracy. And I, I certainly would agree with that assessment. Sure. And Bryce, you, you sort of track a lot of the metrics that kind of roll up into this sense of unease, um, trust in institution, trust in our, in our neighbors. We've talked about a, a lot of these measures before. Kind of how do you summarize the, the sort of public sentiment at the moment? When we ask the public these questions, of course, we don't get very precise academic answers because the public just is like, yeah, I don't feel good. Sure. Right. Things aren't great. And you know, so I think there's lots of different things that go into this, but the core of it is 
we simply do not interact with a broad swath of Americans who are different than us. You know, whether it's actual geographic sorting or selective socialization, or even when I socialize with people, we just avoid anything even related to this, sure. right? And then I go off and I marinate in the internet or cable news. And so what we what we have is massive misperception about what we think about things uh, that is frequently hyper uh, it's hyperbolic right it's just not based on what people actually think and that's where the mistrust come from that's where all of the you know these other sub indicators you know i think play a role mm -hmm. and that's what wraps up into yeah this isn't working but it might actually be it's just that we're not dealing with it in a way that is constructive and allowing us to process it in reality we're processing it in a fake world of algorithms and outrage media, which makes me go, oh, man, look, those guys are all terrible. Of course, you know, everyone, those guys are terrible. And when we live in that world, it's hard to, it's hard to have democracy work because you're, you're outraged. Mm -hmm. How can I ever accept uh, the electoral results of that other group having any sort of power over me because they're all terrible? Yeah, and there's a lot of returns to keeping us outraged. Rob, other factors that might be at play here in driving us apart? Well, one thing I'd note, I mean, I, I, I agree, Bryce, with your articulation of, uh, of what's going on here. I do think you have a little bit of an optimistic take in, in, in the sense that it's not, it's not totally clear to me that this is all just misperception. Okay. I think there are some reasons why... You know, people on different sides of, of, of the divide uh, view people with skepticism. For one thing, we have seen a real rise in the number of Americans who feel as though violence, political violence, is, is acceptable some of the time, right? That is, that's a real thing, right? And, and so I, to, to, to me, it's not unreasonable to look at that and say, gosh, that's, that's a problem and I, and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And that's not really a misperception thing. I mean, I think we've seen enough survey data now to say that this is a real thing that's out there. My point is that, you know, I completely agree that you know, and that's what motivated me into the sphere in the first place was it literally questions about the acceptability of violence or or questions in surveys that basically were partisans think that effectively the other group is the enemy, that they're yeah. actively harming the country. But I think the core of that is misperception, right? I think we get to the violence because of the misperception, not that the, the, that, that, that the, the threat of violence, all that's real. But I think, you know, and this is what, you know, so there was a study recently where they, the Strengthening Democracy Project, where they solicited hundreds of ideas and they tested 25 of them. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, the solutions that they all basically come up with, they all kind of look the same to me, right? Which is show people working together or have people interact with each other and realize that they're misperceiving each other. And all of that stuff did lower partisan, everything they tried actually lowered partisan animosity. All of that to me was, look... I'm not interacting with you. I'm basically being given a caricature of you by the media. And therefore, I get outraged. And therefore, I think violence is acceptable. That's the cycle that I think we're seeing. 
Yeah, I think there's something to that. I'm I'm familiar with that series of uh, of studies uh, from Stanford, and and I think your characterization of, of that is right. I mean, there there are things you can do to to lower the temperature, and 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 that's all good. I mean, I think to some degree this is a, a chicken and egg issue too, right? Yeah. However, we got to where we are. I I, I do observe that that there is this uh, uh, disturbing number of Americans who. Uh, are open to the use of violence and and that this is this has grown right it's not like this has always been there there's always been a little tiny bit of this but it's increased it's increased a lot i think you can also look at various surveys that that indicate there's just a growing illiberalism out there more generally liberal in in this sense and kind of the the broadest sense of that word not necessarily to 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 denote the political left yeah maybe just, maybe take a moment rob to just define that what is when people hear the word illiberalism they might not be familiar with the concept what we talk about when we talk about democracy is actually more liberal democracy so the liberal piece of that would include things like concepts like pluralism and the rule of law and, you know, all these things that we kind of associate that go along with democracy, but strictly speaking, democracy is just, you know, the people decide. Right. But in the United States, we have we, we, we have all these uh, liberal elements kind of on top of that. And so what we see increasingly now in the United States, and, and by the way, this is not just a United States problem. We, we actually see this uh, happening uh, all over the, uh, the the world, which I think in some ways it makes it all the more disturbing because it suggests that there are forces at work that are not just strictly speaking, sure. you know, stuff that's going on in the United States. But we see we see openness to to authoritarianism, skepticism about basic civil liberty kind of things like free speech and 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 all of these kinds of things, and and all of this is on on the rise, right? It's all moving in in in, in the wrong direction for those of us who think that preserving liberal democracy is uh, is really important. I mean, I think we agree pretty clearly that there's a big problem and there's many dimensions to the problem, how it came to be. You know, there's other factors there too. How do we get out? And that's a big question. A lot of smart people are thinking about it. I wish more smart people were thinking about it. But I guess a first step to getting out is to getting people to care about it. Uh, some of your work at the Mansfield Center, and Bright, we should mention Bryce is a board member for the Mansfield Center here at the University of Montana. Part of your work, Rob, is to get more people interested in the idea of civic engagement, paying attention to the health of democracy and their role in preserving that health. Talk about that work. You know, as you note, I mean, Mansfield Center certainly isn't the uh, only entity working in this space, but we do think we have a unique angle on it, if if you will, being based here in Montana, mm-hmm. in in the in the heart of uh, of rural America, does give us a little bit of a different angle on this. And you know, a lot of the other entities that are working in this space are based back in the Acela Corridor on the East Coast or in the Bay Area or whatnot. So we are in touch with some of these communities in our state that I think uh, a lot of people working on this elsewhere don't don't really understand mm-hmm. and don't have connections to. We're, we're trying to tackle it from a variety of perspectives, but certainly one of those perspectives is to try to try to do more outreach across the state and in rural communities that often get get overlooked. So that that would that would be one cer- certainly one piece of it, and and one thing I th- I think that we feel like at the Mansfield Center, like like we really have something to contribute here that uh, that, that other people working in this space don't necessarily have. 
from my perspective in the classroom, it's sometimes difficult to get students to care. And that kind of reflects uh, what you mentioned a few moments ago about people saying, I think, Bryce, you said 86% of people say they're not happy with the way things are in the state of how our government operates. Yet, even though they think that, they don't rank that as a particularly important problem. They'll put things like inflation, the economy, COVID, whatever it is, above that. Similar effects appear with other sorts of issues like the environment, for example. But talk about that, Bryce, that kind of disconnect between people acknowledging there's a problem and then doing something to care about it. All of those problems that we're ranking above, we kind of are expecting the government to help us address. Mm -hmm. And yet we're not thinking about the platform of government as a key part of what we need to do to address all of these other issues, right? You know, the idea being that, look, if we have a government that is more effective, then in an ideal world, we would see better solutions to these problems. So it's not like problems are going to go away. But in an ideal world, we would have much higher quality governance, right? Because of, you know, we had, we'd, we'd invested in building the infrastructure, you know, of governance or in our case, just preserving what we already have that works and not continuing to tarnish it. It works on two levels, right? So the problem we have is, A, there are some structural issues in how we vote and, you know, how we legislate and how all that kind of stuff. That You know, there's issues there. But part of the issue we have is just that how we select into the process, right? So, I mean, I'll use economics, politician labor supply or pundit labor supply or activist labor supply, all of these things are maybe not always selected in ways that lead us to the quote unquote best solution or at least a better solution than we're getting currently. And that's part of the problem is we have this feedback of people select into the process who maybe aren't the greatest, nicest people. Then the rest of us look at it and go, ooh, look at those guys. They're gross. Yeah, that's dirty work. We'll be back to my conversation with Bryce Ward and Rob Saldine after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. This is John Twiggs with Montana PBS, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Bryce Ward and Rob Saldine about the state of our democracy. We could get sort of mired in an endless chicken and egg kind of conversation about this, but one way through is to get more people in that supply, that labor supply, as you put it, for activism, for policymaking, for governance, get more good people with the right mindset on whatever political of whatever political persuasion to participate. How do we get more people to participate? You know, I, I suppose it should say I should say at the beginning, you know, it's not obvious to me that this is solvable, that it's easily solvable, right? There are forces at work here. I think that, the, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that you can see this going on in so many other countries, consider, uh, suggests that there's there's something going on here. There are forces at work. It's not obvious we can contain them. I guess I am nonetheless optimistic that, in, in, in the sense that these are not new problems. Democracies have always been plagued by a certain set of problems. They've been evident for a long, long time. People have been grappling with them for a long time. 
you know, I think I think we kind of got arrogant in the United States for a while, thinking that we'd kind of conquered these, and you can just set the thing on autopilot, and it'll all and it'll be fine, and we don't have to worry about it. In reality, I think you have to uh, work at it forever. It's a never-ending project to make democracy work. But in terms of of what can be done, I think there are two general buckets. One one bucket are what we might call uh, institutional fixes. Okay. The other bucket, it's less direct. It's more trying to work at the level of, uh, of communities and addressing, Bryce, some of the things you talked about earlier in terms of the sorting. And, you know, th- this is one of the classic problems of, of democratic societies, actually, is that uh, when, when you allow people to do whatever they want to, to, to live in freedom, they, they, they oftentimes will associate with people like themselves. And this is something that, uh, for instance, Alexis de Tocqueville worried about back in the 1830s when he visited and wrote his classic uh, book, Democracy in America. You know, this was one thing he worried about with the United States and democracy more generally is that uh, there was this there was this tendency towards privatism uh, or what he called individualism, which he meant basically people shutting themselves off from society, focusing only on themselves and, and their families and this small circle of friends, but not really engaging broadly in their in their community and and he thought this was going to be a real problem for democracy now he thought there were antidotes to it but 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 he thought this was something that's kind of embedded in democratic people mm-hmm. was this tendency towards sorting but but so if one bucket is kind of your institutional fixes the other bucket is kind of trying to address some of those things going on uh, at, at the level of individuals in society and 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 how we how we work as a series of communities the ones you hear about a lot are things like adding states, getting rid of the electoral college, getting rid of the filibuster, um, reforms to the judiciary, you know, you know, term limits for the judiciary, their, their whole range of things, rank choice voting, um, right? All of these I would put in the institutional bucket, right? Basically trying to, trying to fix the way the system works and, um, and, and expecting then that we'll get better better outcomes. So let's talk about some of the individual level solutions um, that you, I don't know if you characterized them necessarily that way, but but I think about things like a public service requirement or civics education, things like, are, are those sort of some of the ideas that, that you're thinking about? Yeah, yeah. Public service requirement is a great example of that, right? It's indirect, mm-hmm. right? It's not it's not like you're trying to intervene directly and make people, you know, embrace free speech and believe in the election system and, and things like this. So, so, so it's, a, it's indirect. It works with a light touch and, and therefore it's a long-term project and, and therefore in a way kind of unsatisfying because you aren't going to see the results. You know, if you, if you add states to the union, you know, boom, there's your, your intervention and and I guess we'd see what would happen. I, I, I actually in, increasingly am, am a little bit more skeptical about the institutional fixes because mm-hmm. I, I, I worry, one, so many of them are just implausible, right? Many of them require like a constitutional amendment and, and that, 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 that's just a high bar. And then others, even if you could enact them, it's not 
totally obvious to me that they wouldn't do more harm than good. I mean, this is something I, I, I would worry about with the idea of adding states. If you add states, I mean, everyone kind of understands to a degree what's going on here, right? We want to add states because we want more senators who will <laughs> vote the way we want them to vote. Uh, right. Yeah. And, 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 and so the problem is that, 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 that people who oppose that are, are, are going to recognize what's going on here. And, it, and, and, and to that degree, it, it risks kind of just further inflaming the situation. And, and, and it would be perceived by them as being unfair, that it's illegitimate. And, and that, to a degree, is the problem. So, I mean, you, you could debate each of these little institutional fixes for a long time. I guess that is one reason why I am a little bit more intrigued with some of these other kind of longer-term projects that look to indirectly forge some of the bonds that I think have been lost over a long, long time in, in, in our country and trying to build some of that mutual trust that we, we we quite clearly have lost that and so again it's 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 an un, it's unsatisfying in a sense that it takes forever you don't you don't actually see tangible results immediately but i'm not sure that if you don't address it at that level that you can do all the institutional fixes you want but it's not going to get at the real root of the problem any institutional fix that has an obvious winner and loser is just going to inflame Right. It doesn't get to the damping down. Right. At the institutional level, I'm willing to consider stuff that doesn't I don't have an obvious notion of oh, that favors one group or the other, but that does create space for collaboration. The long term project is the social capital project of reestablishing real relationships with our whole community. And, you know, we just don't get opportunities once we leave public school. If you go to public school, you get your neighborhood version of it, right? And Missoula's not segregated enough that most of your schools have some, at least socioeconomic diversity. But, you know, my high school, I was the only high school in my town. So everybody went to high school. So I got to see what my town looked like, at least in terms of our kids. But once you leave that, you move off into your spaces. And that's when that misperception and that lack of trust and that lack of understanding, I think it takes hold. And that's why I think I'm intrigued by public service requirements. I'm intrigued by this notion of sortition, right? Let's solve public policy problems using juries, right? Let's put people in rooms and say, hey, figure it out. I'm intrigued by the, you know, what was the America in one room experiment, right? Where they brought 500 random people into for a weekend and said, hey, let's just uh, talk about issues. And, you know, then track them and see, yeah, it does. It changes your perspective, at least over like six months of a follow-up, right? Because what? I got re-exposed to this, this you know, set of people. And so could we do some of this stuff and end up with bigger problems? Sure. That's why we experiment and learn. And that's why we want a system that's adaptable. And that's one of the problems with our current system. It's leading to this thing is it doesn't adapt. At this level, particularly at that community level, I think there's a lot of space that we can Experiment, and that's the beauty of being in a small place like Montana and with something like the Mansfield Center is, wait, great, we can go off and try something, right? We've got some things in the pipeline. We're going to just try them. Maybe they fall, we fall flat on our face, but you know, at least you learn something. Yeah, Rob, the, reflections uh, on that. The uh, the the idea is that some of what's important in politics is more uh, process driven 
than outcome-driven. So it's not about the policy at the end. It's about the process of engaging with fellow citizens in a jury, in a uh, community organization. Doesn't doesn't have to be a political organization, but it brings people together, ideally, the cross-section of people, right, who are, who are, who are different from you and who you have to work with in some sort of shared project. And a lot of the, the ancients and Tocqueville thought, thought there was huge value just in working through that process, right? It forged connections. It made you uh, feel a part of your community in a way that I think a lot of people quite clearly do not feel engaged in their community. And, you know, when you don't have that kind of part of the, the human soul filled with community life, it will be filled by something else, and um, I, I, I think we're seeing that uh, frequently it gets filled with, with something that's not very, not very healthy, probably not very healthy for individuals, but certainly not very healthy for, uh, for society. So as we close, fellas, let's uh, turn to some recommendations. We talked broadly about some solutions, but let's talk at sort of a more pointed level as we're you know, less than a week out from the election here. Many of our listeners probably already voted absentee ballot or mail-in ballot, whatever. What do we recommend? That, that listeners do to kind of be a part of solution here. Bryce, start with you. You got to get out of the little individual bubble. That's the first thing. That's the, that's the thing that you can control immediately mm-hmm. is go find shared projects that you can be a part of. There's lots of problems that need solving and lots of work that has to be done, right? You know, that labor supply. It's not always paid work, but there's lots of work that needs to be done and getting out into your community and finding some way to contribute, to be part of that, to fill that part. You, you know, I don't know if this is actually in Maslow, the hierarchy of needs, but like feeling part of a community is important. And, you know, so I think anything that you can do to get out of staring at your phone at home for hours on end, get back into just first socializing, but then also ideally finding a shared project that you can do as part, you know, to feel part of your community, to connect with different parts of your community that you probably would not have ever, ever interacted with. Uh, that's the shortest third term thing that I can do. And then find longer term projects to support where people are going to try and experiment to do other things uh, and, you know, support them with your time, your attention and your, or with your money. Sure. Rob. I guess one thing I'd, I'd suggest is uh, trying to depoliticize things, which, which maybe is a strange thing to say from a, from a political scientist. But mm-hmm. um, I think uh, depoliticizing things that don't need to be political would, would be a big help. And you know, one, one kind of uh, easy, easy way to think about this in a very tangible way, I, I, I've been asked a number of times, you know, like uh, – and, you know, right after the election, we do have Thanksgiving – how do you navigate Thanksgiving dinner and how do you with relatives who have different political views? And it always strikes me it's, 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 it's slightly bizarre that, that one feels the need to, uh, to discuss politics over Thanksgiving. Right. How, how, how about come up with some other things to talk about, <laughs> right? There, there, there is so much more to life than, um, than, than talking about Trump and Biden and, and, uh, and, and, and all of this. You know, find, find, find some other things. Uh, Thanksgiving does not need to be politicized. Yeah, I like that. You know, fellas, our way through this could go one of two ways. We could choose violence or we could choose conversation. And um, it's great today to choose conversation. Great to always choose conversation, but conversation with you two gentlemen is always enlightening. And I thank you for your time. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Justin. 
Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. Social media by AJ Williams. And Jeff Neese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.